there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. Imagine that most people are familiar with the idea of evolution through natural selection. And you know how it is with me. I always try and find a way to put this work in a new way. Not necessarily in a new way, but to come at it from a different angle. To give us a different look at it. To, to give us fresh impressions. and Impressions that can have new meaning attached to them more easily. And sometimes it's a good idea to take something that we're familiar with and then use it in a work way. So I want to talk to you today about unnatural selection. We know that evolution through natural selection is something that's painfully long process. It's also stupid to debate it, but for some reason that never stops anybody from doing it. People are constantly doing this debate thing over whether it all was created this way or it evolved this way, and apparently they see it as these two contradictory things that can't be resolved. And, of course, the work would say that's from not having proper understanding or enough understanding. In other words, not creating the force of understanding in yourself. Instead, what we do is we see one side of something and we get attached to that. And then we feel dualistic and opposed to the other side of it because we don't see how the two things can fit together. And that's simply because of our inability to create the force of understanding in ourselves so that we can understand both things. It's even more ludicrous when we apply natural selection to our psychology. We were created self-developing organisms, and we can develop apart from natural selection. If we're going to wait for humanity, for the race, for all of the people on this planet to move us along toward what we're supposed to be, to have our development based on the painfully slow process of evolution, it's insane to do that when there's another option that's open to us. And that's what this work is about. This work is about the other option that's open to us. And so that's really what I want to talk about. As we are, our minds run riot through automatic associations, mechanical reactions to events. We think that we're in charge. We think, oh yes, well this is what I do. But the work has a different idea of how we are. And for those of us who've come to the place where we're willing to hear something else about how we are, we've come to the place where we realize that life doesn't have the answers in and of itself that we're looking for, that the satisfaction that we need isn't in life itself. We have done the things in life, we've succeeded, we've become good householders, and we find that still life is not giving us what it is that we need. So there's something more available to us. There's a possibility of psychological evolution for us, of spiritual evolution for us, that goes beyond what life can do, beyond what life can give us. And so this is the premise of the work. If you didn't know any better, if you had not right knowledge of yourself and the laws under which we live, natural selection would be all we had. So if you didn't know anything else, if you didn't have the kind of knowledge that you needed 
about yourself, about the laws that we live under, the 48 orders of laws. You didn't know that you could escape this painfully slow process of natural selection and evolution. That would be all you had. Sadly, for most of the man-machines on this planet, that's exactly how it is for them. They will crawl along at a snail's pace through natural selection. And they won't understand why. They won't understand what is available to them. And, you know, that's just kind of sad. But it is the way it is. There's a psychological evolution that's possible to man. But he's got to cast off this automatic, mechanical, natural selection that he's really enmeshed in. And when I say he, of course, I'm talking about mankind on this planet in our age. Hearing this, people are very quick to think that's what they'll do. Well, yeah, that, okay, I'm going to cast off this natural selection, these automatic mechanical associations and things. I'm going to cast that off, and I'm going to do that. They're very quick to think, yeah, that's, that's what I'll do. That's, that's the thing for me. And it's not all their fault. They're self-help gurus that sell them the idea that they can do. And imagination satisfies every center. We start to imagine because people tell us we can do. Oh, yes, you can do this, you can do that. Just follow my program. Just read my book. Just go to my workshop. Just attend my seminar. And then you'll be able to do it. Then everything will work out for you. And the truth is, that's not the truth. People find that out the hard way, or they don't find it out at all. But the bottom line is, it's not the truth. Our problem is, people with a surface understanding think that they can do. Pride and vanity blind us to the truth about ourselves. And so we can go along with this imaginary idea, with this idea that, yes, I can do. And the, these people said I can do, and now they've shown me how to do, and now I'm just going to go out there and do. Esoteric schools teach the need for metanoia. If we're to develop to our full potential before we wipe ourselves off the globe through our negative emotions. And metanoia is an idea that is misunderstood by a lot of people. It's been mistranslated in some esoteric writings to mean repentance. But it doesn't mean repentance at all. It means, meta means above, and it means above the mind or beyond the mind. So it's a matter of changing the mind that we have now into another mind, a different kind of mind. People will look at it like, well, that's just changing your mind. And in a sense, it is changing your mind, but it's a specific kind of changing your mind. And this is what esoteric teachings, esoteric schools teach and instruct us to do and guide us in doing. Now, so many people begin meditation, for example, thinking they can stop their thoughts. This is an incredible idea. Well, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to when they start to meditate, they say, well, I sit down to meditate, but I just can't stop my thoughts. Why can't I just keep on thinking? I think about all these things I'm supposed to do, and then I start thinking about this, and I start thinking about that. Right. Exactly. That's exactly what it's like to sit down and meditate. And people think that they're failing because they're not able to stop their thoughts. Well, the reason they can't stop their thoughts is because it can't be done. Now, there are people who will tell you, oh, but it can be done. And they're right. It can be done, but it can't be done at our level. We have to begin to have this new mind that comes through metanoia before we can get above our thoughts or beyond our thoughts. And whether our thoughts actually stop or not isn't the issue. It's whether or not we can stop being identified with our thoughts. 
in this work. We're taught to practice inner stop. But we have to think to do that. Don't think, for example, of pink elephants. So I don't want you to picture in your mind pink elephants. I don't want you to see a pink elephant in your mind. And if you don't see pink elephants right now, there's a reason for that. And the reason isn't that you can stop your thoughts. The reason is because you found some other way to deal with the pink elephants. It's like not expressing negative emotions. Trying not to is how you find out that you can't, and then you find something else. But first you find out that you can't. So the first thing we have to find out, and the first thing the work teaches us, is that you can't do. You're not properly conscious, you're not one, and you don't know yourself. These are huge issues for people. People don't take to this very easily. It's a very hard process to get to know this. You have to see this for yourself. And most people don't see it for themselves. They accept it intellectually because that's what they've been told. But then they're stuck with that. They have that, but that doesn't mean that it's theirs. It means that they've borrowed it from someone else. And so they can carry it around with them and they can show it to someone else, but it doesn't do them any good because they don't really have the code to use it. For example, I've got this new iPad 2 that someone gave me. And when you turn it on, there's a way to have a little code. You slide to unlock it, and then you can have a little four-number code that you put in there so that someone else can't come along and pick it up and start to use it and mess with your stuff. And if you can remember the code, it's great. But that's kind of what it's like when we get this idea from someone else, but it's not really ours. We, we accept it intellectually. It falls on our intellectual center, and it gets stuck there. It just stays right there. And so we hear, you know, don't express negative emotions, and you can't do. And we think, okay, yeah, all right, I accept that. And we go around and talk about that, but it's not ours because we don't have the code. We can't really open it and get inside of it. What I'm saying is you can possess this iPod too. You, know, you could pick it up. You could hold it. But unless you have the code, you can't get inside of it to find out what's really inside of it. So its whole purpose is just then the surface thing. It's the surface understanding, this surface purpose. And so that's kind of what I'm talking about. Now, the best we can do in our world with thoughts is unnatural selection of thoughts. We can think something else instead of pink elephants. So if I put the image in your mind of pink elephants, or, or, or let me put it another way, if something, you know what it's like to get a song stuck in your head? So you hear a song and then you can't get it out of your head, you can just keep on hearing it, you keep on hearing it, you keep on hearing it, and you don't want to hear the song, but it keeps playing through your head. And that's like, well, just stop your thoughts. But you can't stop your thoughts because the song just keeps on playing through your head. Unless, of course, you learn unnatural selection of thoughts. What that means is you think of something else instead of that song. Maybe you think of another song. Thoughts are things. We can go with them or separate from them. Now, stopping a train of thoughts is like stopping a speeding train. If you've got this song going through your head and you're just going to try to resist that, I'm, I don't want to think about that song, I'm not going to think about that song, and then the song just keeps on going through your head. That's like trying to stop a speeding train. You don't stand on the tracks and hold your hand up and try to stop the train. That doesn't work. What will happen is you'll get run over by the train, and then you'll be in worse shape than you were when you started. So it's better to take a different train. You miss that train rather than trying to stand in front of it and stop it so that you can catch that train. It's a better idea just to let that train go by and to catch another train, to take a different train. 
So some trains we're used to riding take us to bad places inside of ourselves. And we've got to learn the timetables and the routes if we wish to get to better places inside of ourselves. But the problem is we first have to know what the bad places inside of us are. And we can't really know that until we find out what they do and how they manifest and like that. So an unnatural selection of thoughts would be taking a train of thought that leads to a different place rather than automatically taking a train of thoughts that always leads to the same place. Let's take an example. You're driving on the freeway or on a road and someone cuts in front of you. And usually you have a train of thoughts that starts, people are so ignorant, why don't they watch where they're going? That guy didn't even use his indicator. Blah, 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 blah. He's on the phone or he's doing this or he's doing that. And we have this whole train of thoughts that just starts like the pink elephants, it just starts. And then it takes us that once we get on that train, once we identify with that, once we allow ourselves to identify with that, we can't separate from it, it takes us to a certain place inside of ourselves and it can get us there very quickly. It's amazing that these trains to negative emotions are express trains. They always kind of get us there faster than we could ever get anywhere else. If we want to get to a better state, it seems like we can only take a train that stops every five minutes at a station and it takes forever to get to the better state. But if we want to get to a really bad state, to a slum inside of ourselves, to a really horrible neighborhood, a dangerous place, a negative place, it seems like we can get there like automatically, like the rails are greased and there's nothing stopping it. We're just zipped right there. So some trains, like I said, we used to riding, take us to very bad places inside ourselves. And it's up to us to learn about where they go, which train of thoughts goes to which place, and what those places are like inside of ourselves, and how we can avoid them or get out of them. So one of the things we can do is we can learn to stop ourselves from taking the wrong train, the one that leads to the inner slums, the one that leads to the bad places where we can get mugged by little eyes that carry us off and we fall in with a bad crowd and the next thing you know we're doing the same thing the bad crowd of little eyes is doing. We're identified with them and we become part of their gang. And the next thing you know you're not the same person, you're not the person you wanted to be, you end up being the person you don't want to be. How often has that happened to you? How often has someone said something to you and you ended up saying exactly what you didn't want to say, being exactly who you didn't want to be? And then later you look at it and you say, why did I do that? How could I be so stupid? You took the wrong train. That's how. That's all there is to it. You just took the wrong train. And because you, do, you weren't familiar with how to recognize that train and where it always takes you, you didn't know how to get on another train. You couldn't stop that train, but you might have been able to get on another one had you been aware that that's where that train was going to lead you. It's absurd to think the train is going to end up in some nice place. The tracks are laid and the thought train will do what it has always done. It's not going to change. The train schedule is the same. It always goes to the same place. You've got to get the right train. If you're on the wrong train of thoughts, it's going to take you to the wrong place. The effort is wasted to try and stop the train. Through inner observation, though, we can become aware of the thought train's route and timetable. We can become aware of the conductor. We can become aware of what it looks like, what it sounds like, what kind of train it is. And when we become aware of it, rather than wasting our time Disliking people, for example, we can try disliking the thoughts that we know will take us 
to the bad areas inside of ourselves. So most of us find ourselves in a bad area and we dislike people because they're the ones that got us there. Rather than disliking the people, why not own the thoughts that took you there and dislike those thoughts and avoid those thoughts? If you've observed yourself properly, then you know where the inner slums and the bad neighborhoods are and what trains of thought will take you there. And so if you don't know, the only help there is for it is proper self-observation. You've got to learn this for yourself, by yourself. A lot of people don't want to do that. They don't want to make that effort. They would much rather go to a seminar. They would much rather hear someone else say it. They would much rather do something else about it, anything, but do the hard work, of, the hard long work of proper self-observation. And it is hard work. And it is long work. And you do have to know it. You do have to have right knowledge to know how to do it. People think, oh, yeah, well, I observe myself all the time. You wouldn't believe how many times I hear this. I observe myself all the time. I know exactly who I am. Well, needless to say, there's not much I can say to a person like that. They're full of pride and vanity. They're full of self-love. They're full of self-knowing and self-congratulations. They need a knock on the head, and life will give it to them. It's not my job. So maybe they'll come around someday, but for now, there's not much that we have to do with each other. It's true that we don't have much will, and we can't do in an ordinary sense. We always have little power of unnatural selection internally. So it's not like we have this huge reserve of force and power so that we can just automatic, we can just take this train of thoughts, take that train of thoughts, turn this all around and end up in a new place. Sometimes we find ourselves in very bad places, in negative states, in bad neighborhoods, and we just got there. We don't even know how we got there. We got there so fast. It was like, beam me up, Scotty. Boom, I'm right there. How did that happen? You know, I know better. I've been here before. I said I wasn't going to do that. All right, what I want to do is I want to give you a, a different... I want to take you off the train right now, and I want to take you into the garden. So I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 13, verses uh, 24 through 30. You may be familiar with it. If you're not familiar with it, good. If you are familiar with it, good. Jesus presented another parable to them. Okay, now remember, a parable means this is not to be taken literally. A parable means we're talking about something else. A parable means there's no way for us to talk about this inner kingdom unless we use figures and parables and metaphors and examples that talk about it because we live, our whole mindset comes to us through the five senses. And the five senses connect us with a physical world, an outside physical world, outside of ourselves, a world that we become glued to through the five senses until we think that we are part of that world. Where What the work says and what esoteric teachings say is there's actually an inner kingdom, an inner world that is much bigger, much richer than the outer world, and that we can learn how to enter that world and go where we will in that world so that the stuff coming in, the events that come into us through the five senses don't make us do things that we don't want to do, don't make us do things that are not good for us. Don't make us go to states inside of ourselves that are horrible, that are hateful, that are negative, that are depressing, that are just bad. So the story goes like this. Jesus presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. So what we're talking about, remember the kingdom of heaven is this expanding state of consciousness, this higher state, this inner state, inner and higher in these 
in these parables, in esoteric teachings, are really the same thing. Inner and higher are the same thing. When you turn your back on the physical world, when you start to close the windows, the five senses, you close the windows and the doors of the five senses, and you stop allowing all of these events and impressions to jerk you around like a marionette with strings, you have the, the ability to enter this inner world and to insulate yourself from what's going on outside. An example would be that someone who cuts out in front of you always behave this certain way. Well, why don't they use their indicators? And you have all of this righteousness going on and all of this, this just isn't right. These people shouldn't do that. And the law says this and the law says that. And you're being right, but you're being unhappy. And there comes a time for some people, not everyone, but there comes a time for some people when they look at their lives and they say, you know, I think I'd rather be happy than right. I think that it would be more important for me to be happy and not be right about so many things. This is a huge step that we can take in our spiritual evolution, but it's not one that people easily take. So let's get back to this story about this reaching this kingdom of heaven, which represents this higher state of consciousness, this place where it's above the world or insulated from the world or beyond the world. So the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. That's the story. And it's a good story because it talks about exactly what we're talking about. It talks about the tares, these thoughts inside of ourselves, these trains of thoughts inside of ourselves. There are wheat trains of thoughts and there are tear trains of thoughts. And it's just like a garden. You go and you plant good seed in the garden, and where the weeds come from and where the bad things come from, we don't really know. Well, so in this story, well, the enemy did it. An enemy did this. Well, what we don't understand is that as long as we're in life and doing what life wants us, life appears to be our friend. But when we find this work and we start to use this work in life, Life becomes our enemy, and what it does is not for our highest good. It's not for our development, because life doesn't really care about us. Life only cares about itself and getting what it wants. Now, the wheat, of course, represents something that will nourish you. It's the wheat, like bread comes from wheat. Bread is called the staff of life. It's something that will nourish you, but tares are weeds. It's amazing how much tares look like wheat. It's just astounding, and it takes a while before they become evident that it's not wheat. Now this small area of some ability to do in a work sense means that you can select what you allow to grow in your internal world. So we have this just this little ability to do. It's not much. It can be built. It can be strengthened. It can be increased. But in the beginning, it's a very small area that we have to work in. In other words, we have a very small plot of land that we can plant on because we can't take care of a couple of acres. 
because the weeds get ahead of us, because the tares get ahead of us, because it's all automatic and we haven't learned how to deal with it yet. We haven't learned how to distinguish between them yet. So it takes time and effort and right knowledge to understand how to do that. And until that happens, we've just got this little plot. It's not very big, maybe like a square foot garden, you know, where you have like one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine square feet of dirt that you can plant in. And maybe you can handle that square foot garden. Maybe you can handle weeding that and watering that and cultivating the good things that you've sown, the wheat or whatever. And maybe it's not that difficult then to keep track of the tares or the weeds and to pull them out and to keep to make sure that it stays clean and well watered and well fertilized and that all of the energy that you put into it goes to the nourishing thoughts that you planted rather than the weeds that sap your strength and give you nothing in return, that sap all of your resources and give you nothing in return. And this is exactly our position in the world. The world is sapping our resources through the five senses. It's draining our energy, draining our force, and we're not evolving. We're not moving along as we could if we spent more time in the garden, if we spent in the garden of our minds with our thoughts dealing with these things. Like I said, in a work sense, it means that you've got to select what you can allow to grow, what you allow to grow in your internal world, in your little square foot garden. First, we must know the difference between the good and the bad, what nourishes us and what takes us in the wrong direction, takes us to bad places inside of ourselves. And the only way to see the difference, to really verify the difference, is through self-observation. That's the only way to do it. It's not going to do you any good to listen to me and say, oh yes, from now on I'm just going to do that. You won't. Surely, if you've listened to enough podcasts, you know that it may inspire you, it may help you, but it doesn't give you the ability to do. You have to earn that through applying this daily in your own life. Now, once we find ourselves in a bad neighborhood, we can catch the first train out by putting our attention on something. What that means is, if you go back to the pink elephants, put your attention on blue polka dot alligators, you really don't have to think about pink elephants anymore. What we're doing is we're training our minds to use our attention instead of going where we don't want to go, where we are dragged off by trains of thoughts. What we do instead is we take a different train by training our attention on something else. Sitting and feeling sorry for yourself, sulking, whining about how unfair it is, blah, 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 is leaving yourself on automatic associations. It's what you've always done because you acquired it. Maybe your mother did that, or your father did that, or your Aunt Maud did that. I don't care who did that. Somebody in your life did that. You got it. You saw it. And you started. You acquired it. And now it's how you deal with a certain event in life. So when this happens, you can be counted on to do that. When you don't get your way, you can be counted on to feel sorry for yourself. When someone offends you, you can be counted on to sulk. When you try and give it everything you have and you fail, you whine and it's unfair. Well, it's just not fair. We had a bad start and that other guy had a better start and blah, blah, blah. The moment that you begin through observation to recognize a bad place in yourself, you may be able to stop going down the track and entering the same slum. And that is where this work has power. That is where we can do something. This unnatural selection that I've been talking about. And why I say it's an unnatural selection is because the natural selection is what comes automatically to us. It's what comes naturally. It's amazing what comes naturally to people. Because 
we have acquired all of this, what comes naturally to us is what we have acquired. And what we have acquired is negative emotions. And what we have acquired is bad attitudes. And what we've acquired is slum neighborhoods inside of ourselves. And so it's natural to go there. That's just natural selection. And it takes a long, long time for the whole of humanity to change that. can be done, but it takes a long time. Wouldn't you rather be a forerunner? Wouldn't you rather escape now instead of serve your sentence and then get out of prison when your sentence is up like everybody else is doing? What if you had a chance to parole yourself, to get paroled, to get out? Would you want it? Would you take it? That's the difference between people who have magnetic center and people who don't have magnetic center. You'll need an aim, and then you need to get into it to save you from the result of natural selection. So make it an aim not to go to internal slums by unnatural selection. Make it an aim in yourself. Pick some neighborhood, some slum, some area, some bad area where you found yourself again and again and again. And then backtrack and see what train of thoughts took you there. Find out what that is. Study that. And the way you study that is by observing yourself objectively. Separate from it. Observe it objectively. Don't justify it. Don't blame it on someone else. Don't shift it. But just look at it as if you were watching a train go by, as if you were a train spotter and you were just watching a train go by. Choose to go with better eyes that ride better trains of thought to better states and pick out the troublesome thoughts the weeds, the tears, the moment that you recognize them for what they are. Understand, it takes a long time to be able to become a really good botanist about this and to see things as they are. Like tears, they may look nourishing like wheat, but the fact is you have to find out the difference. And the only way to do that is through self-observation. And when you do find out the difference, then it's up to you to tend your garden, to make sure that you follow the right trains of thoughts that are going to lead you to higher states. So if you want to get to the kingdom of heaven, that is that expanding state of consciousness, that higher state, we are constantly moving in an ascending octave upward. We are being in the world, but not of it. If that's what you want, there are thoughts, there are eyes, there are ideas that will nourish you and help you along the way. If that's not what you want, then you don't have anything to worry about. Just go ahead and live your life and forget about the wicked old world and what it may cost you. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.